This isn't Grandma's radio show. We talk about slobber knocking fights. Grounded pal. Rear naked chokes. Plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. It's coming up next, another brand new episode of Sucker Radio. This is MMA fight music producer Mikey Ruckus, and you are listening to another edition of Sucker Radio with your host, Jeremy Brand. Be sure to catch all your mixed martial arts news and interviews and updates at www.mmasucker.com. I can't believe this could happen. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to another episode of Sucker Radio here on MMASucker.com. As well as LastWordOnSports.com, we got two guests lined up for the show today. I'll be joined by head coach Ricky Lundell um, right off the hop to chat about his upbringing in the sport. Um... His fighters that he's coaching, he's got Carlos Condit coming up in January, the big one, for the welterweight strap. He also molded Frank Mir into uh, a contender again in the heavyweight division. And uh, we'll chat about who he could put together as the greatest fighter of all time if you could mold together certain fighters from within the UFC right now. Also on the show, Jesse Schechner. Writer of MMA over at MMASucka.com had the opportunity to catch up with none other than Dada5000. Uh, this guy is taking on Kimbo Slice. Kimbo had some not, some not so nice words to say about Dada on uh, the MMA hour with Ariel Helwani. So Jesse felt like catching up with him and uh, he will rebut those claims. And uh, we will hear that later on in the episode. No UFC this week, but next week is a big one. There are three events, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The big one, obviously, Saturday, UFC 194, Aldo versus McGregor. But this weekend, we have Bellator 147 on Friday. Josh Thompson makes his second appearance in the Bellator cage against Pablo Villaseca, uh, the big fight on this card. And I hate to take away from Josh Thompson in the main event, but the co-main event is one that you guys are going to want to check out. Live on Spike TV, Georgie Karakanian versus Daniel Weichel. This one is going to be one for the ages, I think. Lots of people should be tuning into Spike TV for this because you do not want to miss out on this matchup. Saturday, one championship 34 heads back to Cambodia. Um... Not any title fights or anything like that, but you know, one is serving up some great fights. Uh, online pay per view, uh, we've had some of their fighters on. We had Angela Lee on the show last week. Uh, she'll be fighting December 11th, but they are serving up card after card after card after card. And you know, they're doing great things over there in Asia. So I highly suggest checking out One Championship 34 on December the 5th. I'm not going to talk about the news because that's what our boy Chris Toplak does. But as you heard, his show will be no more by the end of this uh, month. He's folding things up. But you can check out his news this weekend on Sunday on Talking Combat over at MMASucka.com. So before we get into my interview with Ricky Lundell, I'd like to thank my sponsors, ProAmBelts.com. Check them out for all your championship belt needs. Uh, bckimonos.ca for your jiu-jitsu gear. I've got other jiu-jitsu stuff. They've got funky rash guards and spats and geese. They're called Fusion Fight Gear. Check them out at Fusion 
Fight Gear, just Google it and you'll find out where to check them out. But they've got some funky stuff going on over there. And of course, floathouse.ca for all your sensory deprivation tank needs. So without further ado, let's get right into my first interview with head coach Ricky Lundell. Joining me now is a man behind a number of giant UFC stars, including Frank Mir, and coming up in January, Carlos Condit. Please welcome the head coach, master, Ricky Lundell. Ricky, thanks for joining me today, man. Now, I I want to start off with something heavy here a little bit, not mixed martial arts related at all, but today... Tuesday or Wednesday, there was a, a mass shooting down in the States in San Bernardino, California. Um, they went into three guys, I guess, went into a, a building, a mass shootout. Police finally eventually caught them. Now, this sort of stuff seems to be happening a lot down in the States. Um, mentally speaking, on your part, if you had total control of the entire United States, what do you think you could do to, to sort of resolve an issue like this? Oh my gosh, that that is a heavy question. I'm, I, it's hard to it's hard to even think what can be done on such a mass scale like that. I think I think from my background, what I would try to do is I would try to put the right people around me and uh, try to find the most experienced people I could find out there and really really try to get like minded people into a group. I mean that that's coming from my coaching background. That's how. That's how I would approach a camp. That's how I approach uh, making sure a fighter is ready for a fight. So I, I think I would do the exact same thing in this situation. You know, it, it, it's tough inside the states because a lot of the, a lot of the politics and a lot of the things go on. You know, a lot of it resolves around money, and when when money gets involved, then it's not always the right thing that's that's happening or the right people in place to make the proper decisions. Sometimes it just comes down to who's better funded. And I, th- I, I thought, you know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have asked that to a fighter. But being that you are the head coach of some guys, you, you have that sort of background of instilling things in people. And I think mentally speaking, you're one that that has been able to get into these guys' heads and sort of drive them towards doing good things. You know, uh, Jeremy, I've, I, I have been able to, to get inside a lot of these individuals' heads, but. You know, a, a lot of that comes down to to being being with fighters that are interested in change and interested in growth and are willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Um, not not everybody works works right with every single coach out there, but the guys that I've been able to work with that are interested in becoming the best they can be, the reason that we've been able to to acquire so much change in them is because they're willing to do whatever it takes. And, and I ask a lot of my individuals and, and these guys, they, they push and they want to become better. And they, they're going after that 1% improvement every single day. And because of that, their success keeps compounding. Definitely. Now let's get off that subject. Let's talk about you a little bit. Um, I, I haven't had you on the show before. Our listeners might not have heard about your background and, and your upbringing. I know you started at a very young age. Why don't you just speak about how you got into the sport of mixed martial arts and, and the coaching side of things? Well, currently, currently I'm a, I'm a third-degree black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and I wrestled at Iowa State University under Cale Sanderson. Um, so I've had an extensive competition background as well as uh, had an extensive 
extensive background of just being involved in mixed martial arts from an early age. I started in 1992 with uh, Pedro Sauer in Utah. At the time, there were only two Gracie schools in all of the United States, and this is a year before the first UFC. So it's kind of dumb luck that I found myself in the right place at the right time. Uh, my father and mother got me involved in jujitsu, and uh, we walked into one of the only places that, that really was doing what was right. Hoist Gracie was in there training for his first UFC fight. We had Hicks and Gracie coming in and out. At the same time, we had, we had guys like Mark Schultz, uh, who was the Olympic wrestling champion. You saw, probably saw him on Fox Catcher. Those are the yeah. kind of individuals that were going in and out of, in and out of our facility. And I was six years old, seven years old, coming up with those kinds of influences in my life. And so it was, it was, uh, it was only a matter of time before I was able to, to uh, get with the group and accomplish as well. Yeah, because hearing of those accomplishments, I mean, you are just 29 years old, so you'd think you hear that the guy must be like 40, you know, f- over over 40, because you're talking about all these guys that came up so long ago. It, they must have had such a huge influence on you to what you bring to the table today. Oh, such a huge influence, Jeremy. I mean, I've been I've been really blessed to have such great people around me my entire life, from those individuals to to uh, individuals like, like I said before, Kale Sanderson and Cody Sanderson and Casey Cunningham, these national champions, these Olympic champions. And then you have in the martial arts world, individuals like Pedro Sauer and the Gracies who are bringing me up on that side of the table. And to have both of those influences at the same time and to always be surrounded by champions, it instills a, a different type of mindset. It instills a, a championship mindset, a go-getter mindset, a solve-every-problem-that-you-can-solve mindset and no-excuse mentality. And it, it, I, I know that I was, I was blessed in a lot of ways to, to do those things, but you know, I, I give it every single thing I have every single day, and I, I've learned how to coach from those individuals as well. Do you think uh, having the jujitsu upbringing helped you out, like uh, extensively when it came to the wrestling mats? You you had sort of that other background as well. Oh my gosh, Jeremy, it it helped tremendously. I mean, I I started in jujitsu and then got into wrestling later, and so uh, my my perspective on how how wrestling is is done is is opposite from what most people enter into MMA with, which is where they wrestle first and then do jujitsu after. For me, I did jujitsu first and then I wrestled later, which gave me a completely unique perspective. I already was comfortable on my back. I already understood those types of positions. Spots where where other people would never even go, you know, you wouldn't see a, a Chael Seven spending hours upon hours on his back um, because he already has the wrestling base and already has those areas. And because I was able to, to work in those scenarios and those positions, it, uh, it gave me a tremendous, I would say, advantage over everybody else because I understood the game in its entirety in one aspect, and then I got to learn the next game in its entirety from, from another aspect. And it gives me a unique perspective over everyone else. So you've had major accomplishments in, in both sports. Why never the progression to the cage? Um, you know, after I, I competed for Team USA for a number of years, 
and and uh, I I won I won some I won the world championships for for our country a few times, and after doing that, I was I was very uh, excited and I felt very good about what I had accomplished. And I'd been traveling the world for a few years at this point, and I had decided, you know, that as as a competitor on my own, I was very I felt very good about my accomplishments. I feel very fulfilled in that area. Um, but that being said, I I wanted to move towards then becoming the best coach I could be, being somebody who who helps change the sport, who steps outside the box and and really puts his all there. So I, I get asked that a lot, like how come you're not still competing or how come you're not out there uh, on the mat still because I ended, I retired with the gold medal. I didn't do another match. I hadn't lost. And so because of that, I get asked that frequently. But the answer, the answer is simple. You know, at the time I was a grunt and uh, I proved that I could do it myself. But now I'm in a position where I want to be a general. I want to, I want to help others accomplish their dreams. I want to be there for them and, and help coach others into that aspect. And, and it's, it's been rewarding every single time I, I take somebody up to shoot and, and they win and win and win. There's nothing more rewarding out there. Much more stressful as well though, eh? It's definitely more stressful. You, you look at these individuals where, where, before it was, it was my control. I could go out there on the mat and I could handle it 100% and it was up to me. Now it's my job to make sure that they become more athletic, that they're mentally in the right spot, that, that they've eaten correctly, that they're getting in their weight training and their jujitsu and their wrestling and their striking. With all of those aspects, the most important part for me is making sure that I put good people around the team and I put good people around myself, people that can accomplish those areas. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the best in every single area, but if I take someone who is the best in those areas and I place them in that spot and we can all work together very well, then, then that makes our team the best in that area. And that's what we're after. You know, it's about the fighter and about what they're doing and about having the right people in the right places. I have to ask, I've asked fighters this, when they get in the cage, they hear their corner speaking to them. How much of the game plan goes out of the window? Well, talking to a coach right now, how frustrating is it being in your fighter's corner, yelling at them commands of what you need, you see and what you need them to do, and them completely throwing it out the window? Jeremy, that can be an extremely difficult thing. I mean, sometimes sometimes that, that does happen, and when it does... Um, it's important that at the beginning of the next round, I can wake my fighter back up and get him right back into the game plan that he needs to be doing. And that comes, that comes down to coaching tactics at that point, things that, things that you can control and things that you can do. Um, inside of those situations, I'll spend a lot of time trying to actually coach against the other person by, by saying maybe things that he should be doing and warning my guy about things that maybe he should be doing. And that'll usually get the opponent to stop doing a certain tactic. Also, I'll be coaching in a way to try to get the referees on my side and the judges on my side until I can get back in there with my fighter and get him back doing what he should be doing. That's an awesome way to look at it. I've never actually heard it explained like that to, 
Because you just hear the corners and, and you hear them speaking about, you know, go out there, land this, land that. Not not necessarily talking about what you need to do in order to get the judges and the referees seeing things. I, I think that's super cool. There's a tremendous amount of, of skill that is gained inside of a corner. And inside of a, a truly skilled cornering, cornering group, you will see a, a group of cornermen that know how to not only work with their fighter, but they know how to work with a referee. They know how to work with the judges and they know how to work with the crowd. And all of those things help with the perception of who's winning the fight and how your guy will come out in the end of that thing. One mishap and your fighter could lose that fight. And you got to make sure that you're ready in all aspects. There's a lot of cornermen that don't have a lot of experience in those areas. They've never learned. Maybe they haven't been around the right people. That being said, they can learn it, but they need to get in situations with the right people out there to, to really study under and to, to just sit there and pick their brain and, and, and learn about those things. But it's a, it's a very tough job, and there's a few guys out there who do it very, very well. And I'm, I'm just blessed to have been around the right people to learn that early enough in my career. It sounds like that, not just early enough in your career, but early enough in your life. I mean, being that you got in there at six years old or, or whatever it was, coming up with these guys, you must have been coaching at a very young age, regardless of how old these other guys were, because you had been in there so early. Yeah, Jeremy, I started helping coach groups when I was 15 years old, 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a head coach by any means. I was just helping out the group or being a training partner inside of inside of UFC camp at the time, but that progressed and grew into more. And before you knew it, um, I was taking on more roles and then more actively taking on spots where I was controlling the camp. And, and now I can't really see myself in another position besides, uh, either, either coming up with the entire game plan or, or being the head coach in the camp, because when you're not, and you see all the mistakes that are going on inside a camp, you start to realize you may not be doing everything that you could possibly do for your fighter. And that's a very, very difficult spot to be in. How did that all come about? I mean, you became, you, you said you were one piece of the puzzle at that point early on, and then you became the head coach. How did it come about with these fighters' former head coaches? And, and were there any ill feelings amongst you guys? You know, uh, it, it, it all comes down to a, a coach's maturity level. You know, a lot of, a lot of coaches out there, they are, they are 100% that's their baby. And it, it's kind of about them. They're not so much worried about, about how their fighter feels about something. They just want ultimate control regardless of what that person needs. Now with those people, no, I mean, it, it never goes on. It never goes over very well. If you take, to take uh, over a head spot in a position. However, I've had a lot of coaches that that when I've taken over a head coaching spot, they have they have been happy and excited and just glad that their fighter is uh, is taking on a new role and coming up to where he's capable of being. You know, I I wish it was always the the, the second guy out there. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in in this world, I think it comes down to maturity and and really caring being more selfless, caring, caring for your fighter more. At the same time, I've, I've done the same thing where I've let fighters go to other people and I've been excited for them because I, I know that 
that maybe with another person, they would get better coaching because they had a better connection. Yeah, no kidding. Now, you, a lot of these guys that you're coaching are actually a little bit older than you. Um, how have you found that's obviously comes down to maturity as well, um, not just from yourself, but from the fighter's perspective as well? Yeah, uh, Jeremy, everybody I coach, um, they're over, it seems to be that everybody's over 30 years old. They're all inside the top 10 in the division. And uh, they've all, they're all either very close to a title. They, they've, they're currently holding a title or they're former world champions. And when, when you take those kind of people and that kind of group, they know what they're after. They know about professionalism. They know what's required of them. And I have a, I have a uh, very strong, I would say, family-oriented camp. You know, we, we're not spending our time, our time partying. You know, we're not swearing in the gym. We're, we're focused 100% on the work that needs to be done, and then we're out of there. We're not, we're not late to practice. We, uh, we, we're very mature in how we, how we actually approach our training camp and what we're doing. Now, not all camps are that functional. Not all camps can work that way. But the guys that I do coach, they know what I expect from them right off the bat. Um, and, and uh, I mean, before we even start a training camp, I have a 20-page booklet that we, we go through outlining their expectations, my expectations, what we're doing together, and uh, who's going to be involved in the camp, et cetera. Why do I do that? Because if you don't do something like that and you don't make sure that everybody's on the same page, down to the smallest details, that's when problems start to come up. Yeah, how does that where you, you you as the head coach come up with, you know, the grappling coach, the the striking coach, you come up with everything. Is there ever any um, nitpicking between yourself and the fighter? Like say they don't want this striking coach or they don't want this uh, other guy in the in the gym? Um, you know, so far there there hasn't been and that's because uh, my fighters my fighters trust me wholeheartedly. Um, and if they didn't trust me and and they didn't know that I didn't have their best interest at heart, then I could see an issue like that coming up, something there where they they felt like they might know better or they might have a better decision or a better idea. As of right now, I haven't run into that situation. You know, I hope I never do, because if I do, then there's probably a lot more problems than just the striking coach. There's a problem in trust and and what they believe I actually know and that they know better. And the day that they know better, they got to find somebody else who knows better than me. So is Condit the next big uh, fight you have coming up, or do you have anyone in the month of December as well? Yeah, so I have Ana Hulatan is uh, fighting in 1FC. She's like the pride of Manila, so she's yeah. going to be fighting. And we got we have uh, Carlos Condit fighting. Travis Brown will be fighting in, in January. And uh, Frank Mir is in negotiations right now for his next fight. And so all of these should be coming up in the next two months. Nice. Now, Carlos Condit, he's a Jackson's guy. He's got you as his head coach now. I mean, that's like a mastermind camp, mastermind corner waiting to happen. What what really can Robbie Lawler give him if, if you got that corner in his hands, man? I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Well, you know, Carlos is very intelligent in bringing in a lot of different individuals into his camp. He, he finds everybody that's important and uh, brings them all together and makes sure that everybody's in there. He's been having me fly out to Jackson's uh, four days a week right now 
and and just making sure that he's where he needs to be in inside of his training camp. I think he's the next big thing. I think that Robbie Lawler's going to have a very tough time with guys like Jackson, Winklejohn, Brandon Gibson. Um, he's got a he's got a few other guys around him. This man named Henry, who's just phenomenal. I mean, this guy trains Donald Cerrone in stand-up and uh, just has this very aggressive, mean rhythm. With all of these guys around him and then him bringing me in and helping him game plan and get everything in place and and uh, being there for him, I don't see Carlos Condit losing this fight. There's there's just no way it happens. He's, he's too ready. He's too game. And he has too strong of a support system around him. His, his wife and his child, they support him 100%. And uh, his his family environment, and then just him as an overall individual. This is a man of character, integrity, strength. He he is game whenever he steps into that cage, and he never has a dull night. So that's something you look at as well is is this the mental side of things and, and the family aspect and the outside support system as well as the inside the gym stuff, eh? So when when. Uh, Carlos has all of his his mental side together, his group together, everything that he needs. I mean, for me, I come in and I, I'm bringing in fit-ins and tactics and making sure that uh, making sure that Carlos has has his game plan together and those kinds of things. You know, when when uh, Jackson and Winkle John are busy with with uh, Holly Holmes fight and and these other fights that are coming up because they have so many going on all the time, then then I make sure that I'm there and I'm, I make sure that I'm front and center and ready to help wherever I can. And, and that's, that's my big contribution to his camp is making sure that, that he is ready in every scenario. And I'm always there for him whenever he needs. Now, seeing what you've done with these veterans, who are some uh, young prospects that you coach that we can keep an eye out for? Um, you know, we have, we have a lot of guys coming up to shoot right now. Um, None, none that are none that are quite, quite like these veterans. Though I mean, it's so hard when you look at when you look at these guys and and see what they're accomplishing inside the cage and to see them continue to push up the shoot. I mean, keep your eye on on Anna Hulaton right now. She's doing amazing things inside One FC, and I know she wants to come over to the UFC and start start going after a UFC title. So I'm excited for her. And I, I think she has a lot of ability in, in this arena. Being that it is the, the end of the year, we are in the month of December, seeing what you've done with these veterans and these fighters, um, Coach of the Year potential has to be uh, under your name uh, with under, within a few different uh, you know, organizations and, and whatnot with, uh, you know, fight of the year candidate for fighters only for, you know, the different websites out there. How does that make you feel? And, and do you feel that you have done enough to become the uh, coach of the year? Well, Jeremy, I mean, it, it'd be an honor to be even, even put up there on that list to go after coach of the year. Um, I, I believe I have a different, a, a unique aspect inside of the game that should make me a candidate for coach of the year this year. Um, some of those are not only do I run my own camp out of Las Vegas, but I, I travel to other camps and work, work with their head coaches and work with different groups and, and work tactically all across the board, all across America to help all sorts of different camps that are all fighting in and out of the UFC. 
as well as run my own camp here out of Las Vegas. So most, most coaches, they don't do anything like that. They, they stick in their house. They only take on that job and they don't, they don't branch out inside of those realms. You know, with, with my fighters, um, going after comeback of the year, fight of the year, knockout of the year, et cetera. I think that I have done enough to be on, on that board. Um, and my track record has been strong for the last few years. I think that if, if they see that, uh, or if, if the group feels that, that I deserve that kind of recognition, uh, I'm telling you, it would definitely be a dream come true because there's nothing I want more than, than to stand on the pedestal with the other great. I personally think that if you're not on the list, it's not a knock to you. It's a knock to whoever is putting out these uh, candidates. Jeremy, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Well, you definitely have done enough. I can't wait to see what you do with the rest of these fighters over the next month or so. Um, Ricky, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, man. Just let people know um, if they want to check out any of your stuff, social media-wise, any uh, sponsors or anything. I don't know if you have any of those, but anyone you want to give shout-outs to, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, uh, please check me out at Ricky Lundell, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any questions, jump on there. Um, I'm always answering fight questions, fan questions, really anything you need. Uh, I'm there and I'm, I'm very in tune with those, with those, uh, social sites. And I, I stick with, with my group. So please jump on there. Talk to me. I love to make new friends. And I also, uh, love to answer questions and help fighters and anybody who's interested in, in training or work like that, you can contact me through those sites and I can help you through there, whether it's for, uh, tactical work or head coaching or, or any of the above. I'm always here and I'm always around. Um, big shout out to Bishop Gorman wrestling, which is the wrestling team. I run out here. They're in season and, uh, they, they're really working hard and I'm really proud of these guys. They, they never quit and they, they, uh, they understand that I'm out there doing, doing two jobs at once. And I'm really thankful for those guys. What what I've noticed from your social media accounts is that you continuously strive to push yourself forward, not just these fighters that you're training with or, or coaching and whatnot. I mean, these backflips and front flips and all this other stuff that you're doing, it, it, it's pretty cool to see that you continuously, day in, day out, the grind is on you, man. Oh, yeah, Jeremy. I mean, I'm trying to, uh, on there, I'm trying to push the limit all the time, and I get tagged in these uh social media competitions where people are doing these outstanding physical feats. And so I match them and throw them up on social media. So if anybody out there has any that they'd like to see me do, all they got to do is tag me in a challenge and, and it'll come up on the board in the next couple of days. All right. I, I, I wanted to end there, but I got a question to ask you that just popped into my head. If you could create or mold the perfect fighter as a head coach, grappling, um, stand-up, uh, wrestling. Who are the fighters that you would mold your fighter around? Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, when you look at all the different styles out there and what people are capable of, that is a great question. You know, I look at, I look at uh, somebody like an Anderson Silva with his striking, um, a GSP with his takedown ability. Um those, those two guys definitely stand out in my mind as far as understanding an A range and then understanding uh, how to get in there and, and take somebody down and use control. As far as, uh, as, as jiu-jitsu goes, you've got to look at a guy like uh, a Jacare Salza. 
um, somebody with that ability who can just just make it happen. You know, I've I've always been impressed with with those kinds of minds and what those guys are doing out there and how they how they work. But if you took those guys, those guys are phenomenal athletes, and you you stuck them all together. And of course, you got to add John Jones in there because John Jones, um, outside of what he does outside of the cage, when we're talking about what he does inside of the cage, you're looking at a man who knows how to win. This is a guy who who just understands how to win fights. And he continues to win fights, and he knows how to how to push through. I gotta say, you put a combination together with with uh, those those kind of individuals, you would definitely have a scary scary group. <laughs> Is there oh, anyone gotta, out there that I gotta add Frank Muir into that mix though too for uh, <laughs> jujitsu work because you that's a bone breaking like yeah. that, you know bone shattering <laughs> kind of stuff. Is there anyone out there that you would like to get your hands on and, and be able to coach? Yeah, there's a there's a couple people out there that I would love to get my hands on to coach. I mean, uh, when I when I look across the board at different individuals that that really have a future, I look at like Henry Cejudo. He uh, he's a phenomenal phenomenal fighter. I think that he definitely has outstanding ability. He's coming up on a fight against somebody like Mighty Mouse, who's I mean, this this guy's the the best champion we've ever had at that weight category. I think the only one. And this yep. man, he just he just knows how to win. So you, but Henry Cejudo, he's an Olympic gold medalist with a lot of ability. If he had somebody take the time, uh, I know he has great coaching out there. But I would love to take the time to help that man develop because I know that he's someone with that kind of ability. I also think Sarah McMahon, uh, she has she has a lot of ability. She has a lot of talent, but she needs to she needs to be with a group that is going to spend their time and really work on developing her. Um, and across the board, I mean, obviously, I'd like to get my hands on all the champions. That would be nice. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Ricky, man, it's been a pleasure, dude. Uh, uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to do this, man. And uh, good luck to your, your future competitors uh, in the next couple months or whatever. We'll have to get, get you back on the show and, and chat once they uh, either win their fights or, or get that championship belt around their waist. Jeremy, it would be a pleasure. You know, I just, I just got to say thank you so much for the kind words and, and let me come on, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. All right, this is Jesse Schechner here with Defear Donna 5000 Harris, who faces Kimbo Slice on February 19th in the co-main event of Bellator 149 inside Houston's Toyota Center. Uh, Donna, how are you doing today? I'm great. I can't complain to yourself. I'm doing quite well. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me uh, on such short notice. I appreciate you and your people uh, moving things around to accommodate this. Uh, I just first off wanted to uh, to get a little background onto the story. I know that uh, for a lot of people, when the fight was announced, despite the fact that you were in the uh, the pretty high profile film Dogfight, uh, directed by Cocaine Cowboys director Billy Corbin, uh, a lot of people still sort of uh, probably would do well to have a background on yours and Kimbo's relationship. Uh, he says you guys were friends; that you went to the same high school. Uh, was that Miami Palmetto Senior High, by the way? Yes, ma'am. Excellent. I'm an alumni from that as well. Um, so what was oh, that's the, Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the nature of your relationship with them? How did you guys, did you guys come up together? Yes, of course. Actually, uh, 
I'm from Pariah. He's from Pariah. He stayed up the street up on 179th Street uh, inside an apartment complex called Pine Crest. You know, he stayed inside of a two-bedroom. Then they upgraded to a three-bedroom. Then they moved on the other side of France, Joe by Palmer Park, you know, inside the apartment complex is there. So we were both Pariah natives. So same school, but same school, same street, same everything. And um, he was just a couple years older than myself. But I was always big for my age and very, very strong and athletic. So um, he just felt comfortable when he got that opportunity to go to that next level and fight with Ray Mercer. That's when he came. I was out inside the yard and he slowed up. And he was like, yo, I want you to come, you know, roll with me. And I want to say this, you know, when you look at, you know, a bodyguard, right? You know, Kimbo was a big, strong dude. He didn't need me to, 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 to be his physical bodyguard to protect him, right, from physical hurt, harm, or danger. My, my role was part that, but to see other things that other people you know, said is not, you know, is not mindful of, like lost, you know, to intercept negativity and negative people like a bad past because they can push your button and get you to react and you do something stupid and it's over before it even starts. Yeah, you acted more or less as sort of a buffer zone. You know, being somebody's bodyguard, I suppose, doesn't infer that they can't take care of their own business, but it doesn't mean they need to take care of every single problem that comes to them. Is that more or less what your relationship was with him? Pretty much, yes. It was more or less like I was a universal club, but when I was out and about with those dudes, I kept my eyes open, you know what I'm saying, and my ears, you know what I'm saying, tuned to everything that's going on around. And how long did that uh, that version of your relationship with him uh, exist? Roughly for about like a year and a half, close to maybe two years, you know. And then I started seeing that those guys was not in my best interest as I was for them, you know. I got backyard fights, did for uh, for them, and they never released my footage. You know, so there's only so many lies that you're going to tell me about, you're going to do it. I'm not, a, I'm not dumb, naive, foolish, or stupid. But, you know, I believe you until you give me reason not to. You know, so uh, I've done certain things, you know, I used to get up, you know, and travel all over the place with these individuals. But it was not appreciated. You know, almost like, hey, just by you have an opportunity to roll, you know what I'm saying, that's paving enough. You know, so it's like, for me, I'm not a groupie. I'm not an entourage dude, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I am a leader, and I'm here, and I'm destined to do great things. So once I got that clear, I told him, look, yo, I'm done. The best part about this conversation is we will never have to have it again. When Tim Moe fights, you know, was doing his backyard, you know, uh, fight, you didn't have to set him up. You didn't have to trick him. You know, to go and to do certain things. No, when he got inside that car, when he got to his destination, he already knew what it was. Don't ask me to come ride with you, you know, and then you already have it set up to the point that, you know, now I'm going to get confronted. So now I'm fighting strictly off of respect, off of general principle. Now what part of team, you know what I'm saying, is that? These were the things that they were doing, you know. And I'm a big, strong dude, you know, I did press four, five, six hundred pounds. So when we're out and about on the road, you know, it's like, yo, you got to watch that out. You know, he's trying to show you up. Look at him over there showing up. That's not the case. <laughs> the guy. If anybody's surprised, it's not Kimbo Slice. You know, he understands that Donna is sharp. They told me I was making the biggest mistake of my life. I've won two Emmys on NBC with their big, 
and Rolling Stones. But they're bidding on ESPN four times, ESPN Magazine, ESPN E60, ESPN um, Magazine again, get those seven ninety the ticket, Maxim, Vice Media, EA Sports, not to mention the movie, videos and all types of A-listers of celebrities, and the list goes on and on and on. I ask them to this day, do you still think I made the wrong choice? No, I jumped off that sinking ship before it sunk. It's over for this guy. You know, he's at the end of his career. When he signed up going for a contract, you know what I'm saying, that's when the smoking mirrors disappeared. Now when you look, my two fights and your 15 MMA and boxing, you know what I'm saying, even when my two fights come February 19th, we're face to face. Now, he's probably feeling a certain type of weight, and he should. If he got on boots right now, no doubt he's shaking them. Because I was there from day one. And even and even before I, 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 I got the call, I was still a supporter of the guy, even though they screwed me over. He was fighting Shamar. And we all seen how that fight, you know what I'm saying, could have ended out. Yeah. I'm yelling at the TV screen like, yo, get your ass up. Yeah. But now, you know what I'm saying, that you find me, this is a whole sort of totally different call. I still stay in the same area that you left, that you abandoned. This is payback from way back. I may forgive, but I don't forget. Now, I when wanted you look at, you know... Go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. No, I wanted to say that's a good segue because, you know... Um, on Monday, uh, he, you know, he did his interview with his manager on Ariel Helwani's The MMA Hour, and you know, he, he, made, he laid a couple of uh, allegations at you, um, but one kind of felt a little strange to me. Uh, you know, he says that people siding with you are picking the wrong person to back, that he's the real guy from the streets, that he still... But then he says that he lives in a mansion while you're still living with your mother, but later says that, you know, he's moved out of that neighborhood, that he's in a better neighborhood now. Do you think that he diminishes his claim to authenticity when he says yeah, things like that? He's a fucking sellout. That's what he is, and I'm going to break his face for that, for that very same comment. Listen, I got the number one movie in America right now called Dog Fight. Right. You know why the people love me? Because I never changed. Come February 19th, this is going to be a pit bull on a great day. I'm the pit bull. He's going to be the great day. Listen, he started this movement. Yes, he influenced me to do the same. But when I got the ball, I'm a little bit smarter. I ran a different route, you know? And still, we ended up face-to-face in the same place. Of course, he sold out, you know? And just yesterday, man, Five people got shot down on Thanksgiving Day in my community. This is black on black crime, and it's kids killing kids. On great powers come great responsibility. Spider-Man. So when you got the hot head, Kimbo Spice, you could have come back through the hood. Take your own blinders out. Stop looking at it like you're a tourist, because when you come through, you just ride straight through, whenever that may be. Talk to the kids tomorrow. Black on black crime. Crime period. Talk to them about putting down the guns. Not even picking up your fist. Pick up a book. Educate themselves. Learn how to do different. We can't change what we do until we change what we know. When you know better, you do better. That's not too much to ask. I gave out more than 770 plus persons from that fortunate family for this whole, for, for this Thanksgiving uh, holiday. This is what I do, and it's not the first time. 
We're doing stuff because I understand I still stay in Miami West Carolina. And people respect me. And you damn right everybody side with me because they, they can touch me. I'm for real. You cut me, I bleed on this. This ain't no fairy tale. Like we threw back then in the streets to be mad out. Now you from Coconut Creek. Now you from everywhere else except for West Carolina. They don't fuck with him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When he comes when he comes through, it's a personal game. It's because it's beneficial to him. And you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poor because once you get rich, you don't really have to pay for too much. Everything is given to you. You can write out another for sponsorship. You know, people will give you certain things, you know, just because they're gonna get it back anyway off of a tax write off. But because you are who you are, you know what I'm saying, it's easier for you to do it opposed to an individual who's not known. So I really look at him as a sellout. And by him even saying that, I'm a seven figure dude and I don't stay there no more. Good, we don't want you back there no way. Now the question you, shit, you know what I'm saying, since you've been gone. He he leveled a bit of criticism at you, uh, him and his manager, saying that you have essentially tried to rip off his uh, his style, his beard, his tattoos. Uh, he basically called you a poser. That you're that you're that you're you're kind of ripping off of his style and trying to kind of look like him to market yourself similar to him, uh, along with the sledgehammer and the chains he mentioned. How do you respond to that? I can safely say this right here, you know, when you look at the, the, the demographic, the statistics, you know what I'm saying, of, of, of what he stated, you know, a beard, you know, big black guy, stereotypically, that, that, that right there actually, you know what I'm saying, that actually goes hand in hand with every black person inside my community. You know, that's why all officers say all blacks look alike because they all have similar character, uh, characteristics. You know, so if I get him, who did he fight, Mr. T? There's no patent in his own peers. So at the end of the day, it's like, okay, Rick Ross, everybody got a beard. You know, he doesn't want to patent it or copyright on that. See, he didn't expect me to get here. That's what it's all about. He tried to shut the door on the backyard. Now, get it. This stuff's been around since the Roman Coliseum days. I did not invent backyard fights. Two reasons, you know what I'm saying? Number one, I'm not that old. You know what I'm saying? Number two, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's something around since the, do- since the dinosaur days. However, what I did do, I was what, I was what you would call, you know, I did the innovation with it. I took something that was out, you know, and I made it more appealing. I made it more acceptable for the people of the 21st century, and it was like going fishing with good bait and caught the world's attention, you know? And I can safely say that I gained more fame, more attention, brought more, you know, uh, uh, I educated more people about the culture of backyard fighting than anybody the past 150, 200 years before me. So they tell me I made, I made a big mistake. I revolutionized the way that individuals across the world look at extreme reality. That's what I did. I gave individuals, you know, an outlet. Because we all know boxing, MMA, this stuff is political. You know, backyard fighting, you know. We actually, you know, provided, you know, outlets. I remember these guys inside my grandmother's backyard, opposed to waiting in your backyard, you know, to tie you up, to rob you from coming off from hard, hard days worth of work, you know. So we were a pillar of strength inside the community. And if you see the movie, you know, the reason why this movie is so heartfelt is because millions of people have watched it. And they talk about the promotion. 
Yo, the promotion for Kimmel vs. Dada started when the movie first, you know, dropped. Because I stated it. How many people out there want to see Dada 5000 versus Kimmel Price? Millions and millions and millions and millions of people have now watched this doc. So it's like, again, he didn't expect me to get it. You know, he slept on the fact that I'm relentless in my approach. I gotta reinvent myself. They say 15 minutes of fame? Shit, I still have 15 minutes of fame, you know, eight, nine years ago, and I'm still here, harder than ever. And now he gotta deal with it February 19th. He's doing a lot of talking. This is the most this, this dude has ever fucking talked in his life. Which brings me to this conclusion. Who are you trying to convince that you're capable of doing this shit that you talk about? The people or yourself? You're gonna come knock on my door. Hey, the fight just may take place, you know what I'm saying, before February 19th. I'm gonna tell you something here. I'm no fuck boy and ain't no bitch in me. Then I still say, well, the fuck you imagine? You run up on me with that? I'm gonna hurt you. I'm gonna hurt you bad. You see what I'm saying? I'm still putting a lot of money into this stuff. Dude, don't, who on no bitch move? Don't try to check in. That's what holds you. You trying to check in so you don't take this ass whooping in the cage. That's what's playing here. So yeah, you would try to pull a stunt to try to start some shit before the fight. I'm putting it out there right now. He do that shit while I'm a still flipping. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a check-in move because he ain't going to try to make it to February 19th, Friday night, out there in Houston. So when you look at what he's saying, I'll come knock on his door. The fight may take place before the fight. Just listen, he's trying to talk his way out of this shit. He's trying to, you know what I'm saying, create a safe passage. You know what I'm saying? Not to get his ass whooped. Dude, when you talk about a freak of nature, I am him. I'm going to hurt this dude. It ain't shit he can do with me. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and my mind is more cerebral. He taught that shit. I'm going to exert him. I'm going to make his ass into an example. And guess what? When I fuck him up, when he wakes up, and starts like, well, Jealous is going to be over. Right? Don't worry about it. His, his contract with Bellator is gonna be over. And he's gonna wake up and I'm gonna hand him a BYB contract. And I'm gonna bring his BYB uniform, you know what I'm saying, to the next press conference. He can come fight with me when it's over. I got my own league, BYB. Backyard ball, extreme fighting series. Them boys trying to come back home. What do you say to the to the contingency of people out there who are thinking that both you and him are in cahoots about this, that that it's a joint effort to stir up promotion for the fight, um, and that there isn't any real animosity behind it. I'm gonna be honest with you. Again, I was rooting for the guy when he fought Ken Shamrock, right? But that doesn't mean that I still didn't think that they were bad people. Him and his man is the ice mice because I know they're nasty because I see what they've done to me. I see, you know what I'm saying, the envy. I see, you know what I'm saying, the destructive behavior that they try to, you know what I'm saying, bring my way. You know, bad business. No, I'm not in cahoots with that dude. You know, man, listen, we all have heard a lot of things. Hey, they pay off people. They pay such and such They keep the by standing. You know, they pay it off Houston, Alexander, and God knows whoever else. You know, I'm not taking no bribes. I'm coming inside there. You know what I'm saying? This dude is worth more to me on his back. Knock the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? I'm coming in there to win. You know, he's at the end of his road. He's damaged good. I'm going to flip him like I pancake should. He's going to be the next definition, the new face of the time pound cake. I mean, that's what I'm going to do to him. I ask you. You ever seen the gorilla in the octagon? This is a question, haven't you? 
Have I seen a gorilla? The no, I, I have not. All right, but it's hard for me to watch me when I'm inside there working. I'm two and zero. Nobody's gotten out of the first round, you know. And I'm gonna leave and still undefeated. See, he doesn't know my angle. He just needs to know that I'm a I'm a freak force of nature. Excellent. I'm well-rounded in the art of destruction. I'm the first one to say I'm a brawler. I ain't no MMA fighter. But I'm going to be one that night. Cole Lane live in the face. You know, and when he signed that contract, he said, give me my bread. Guess what? When you signed that contract, Kimbo saw that bread was put on your head. And I'm looking at you. You're a sandwich. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be the only one coming to eat. And I'm going to eat your ass alive. And I'm going to hurt you really, really bad. Really, really bad. You talk that shit. Like you said, you stay with the white folks. You stay in a million dollar environment. You ain't hungry no more. He ain't got the dog in you. He ain't got the eyes tight. I'm doing this for me, and I'm doing this for everybody that fucks with me, everybody in South Carolina, everybody that's your bad. Isolate. You know what I'm saying? It's a wrap for you. Last question. Um, what is the over-under? What is your prediction as far as how long this fight is going to take and what are your predictions? My guess is that you believe it's going to end by knockout. I think that that's what most people who are tuning in are expecting to occur. But uh, how do you think and when do you think it will end? Hey, I'm going to tell you something. When you look at this little part of the when you look at MMA, what is the def- I mean, what is the definition of MMA? It's mixed martial arts. Person. It's mixed martial mixed arts. Martial, yes. Mixed martial arts. You're wrong. MMA stands for mass mutilation and annihilation. And that's just what I'm coming to bring. MMA to Houston, Texas, come February 19th. And you're right. Don't blink. It's going to be quick. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to pull a trick out of his bag, you know, to do some shit because he feels just that confident that I may try to do a Superman punch or a roundhouse kick. And that shit right there is going to get him flipped and quicker than I can go. No, it's not going to get out of the first round. This is going to be brutal. It's going to be bloody. We all know about Kimbo Slice. We all know what he got and what he don't got. You know what I'm saying? But I'll leave that as hush. But I'm going to expose this dude on every aspect of the word. Mass, mutilization, and annihilation is what I'm going to bring. He talk a lot. My words to him is bring that motherfucking drama that you speak of to the cage. Come February 19th. All that shit that dude about, you're going to come and knock on doors and... You know, the fight don't start, you know what I'm saying? My phone, but my phone feather. That's a check here move, dog. What you ain't trying to make it to the fight? What you don't wanna fight? You wanna fight my forehead? It don't matter how you kick it, I'm still gonna flip your ass. You know, and I'm not the one to talk shit, but I'm not no punk. You know what I'm saying? So guess what? You started, I'm gonna finish it. You started, I'm gonna finish it. At the end of the day, he fought Ray Mercer. Right? He fought Ray Mercer. I was there. They threw a big party for this dude, and he didn't even show up after giving his word that he will. He hasn't shown his face back in the hood, even when it was costing him guilt. When you look at it, what they do for fun, he's got Icy Mike now. You know, Icy Mike had a dog. I don't know if the dog was still alive. The dog name was Mate. It was a pit bull. You know, he used to have individuals that was around that didn't know each other. You know, hey, put on this dog suit. 
and crawl out there in the yard and let the damn dog, you know what I'm saying, run out there and attack the dude, you know, just for his laugh, just for his enjoyment, his amusement. He's not wrong for that individual who put on the fucking dogs for him. But at the end of the day, just these right here the same people, you know what I'm saying, that most people call their friends. Now, for every law, for every, you know what I'm saying, story told, for everything Tyler fucked up, you know what I'm saying, Kimball Spice, February 19th, he's about to pay that cow. I see my chain getting there. But it's all good. Because I'm a flatline Kimball ass. For everything that I don't want now to be. Because I'm for real. When you got my attention now, you got to talk, deal with it. He tried to give me a stat out. I'm like, yo, listen. Just fucking yesterday Thanksgiving, we heard a hundred rounds right up the block from where I was standing. This shit is for real. Like you say, you ain't been, you ain't been in the hood in years. You ain't heard a gunshot in you. I'm still watching. And you're going to find out. But see, my heart is pure. Once I knock him out, you know what I'm saying, they already got a list of what part of his body do they want me to bring back. Somebody want his knee. I said, they bomb. Somebody want his shit. I said, it's glass, you know. So it's like, I got a list that the community is saying, what body part of Kimball's life do they want me to bring back? Like I said, when he signed that contract, he was already dead. You know what I'm saying? He said, he's on his bread. Well, guess what? It's on his motherfucking head. Come February, you know, the 19th, it's a wrap for him. I'm coming to bank. I ain't doing too much talking. I'm just, I'm, I'm just speaking off of the bullshit that he said. You say you about that? Shut your fucking mouth, nigga. Because when that cage go cold, it's going to be me and you in there. Never whoop your ass apart. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I think the, the entire world is going to be watching February 19th. Bellator, Kimbo Slice versus Defeer Harris, Dada 5000. And uh, cannot wait. That is uh, occurring at Bellator 149, the Houston Toyota Center. Uh, Dada, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys, for having me. Last but not least, BYB, Backyard Balls Extreme. We are the look at the future. We are the gray area between MMA and boxing. Thanks, thanks for Bellator, you know, for giving the fans what they finally want. You know, uh, stop the Kimbo Slice, you know, to come on back home, you know, because, you know, it, 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 it's time. It's a new face of extreme reality, and that's down our 5,000. And where can people it's get a hold of you on uh, uh, social media? Where, where can people get a hold of you on social media? I'm sorry for interrupting there. They can, they can, follow, me on, they can follow me on Instagram. They can follow me on Twitter. You know, they can follow me on Instagram at Dada 5000. They can follow me on Twitter at uh, Dada, Dada 5000. They can follow the fan page, you know, at, uh, at Dada 5000. You know, and I do I interact with the people. You know what I'm saying? I do actually, you know what I'm saying, speak back, you know, and this is real life. It's right here fact. I actually approve this message. This is what we do. Again, the people deal with me because I never change. You know, they say, not a 5,000 years. You're crazy. You're nuts. If you ever thought that back then, our fight was going to blow up. You know, and I ask them right now, do they still think I was crazy on my nuts? But I was always sitting with the people hand to hand. Even after this movie blowed up, you know what I'm saying? I'm still in the hood. And that's because I chose to. From everything that I've done, because I know my work is not done. He can't come back to the hood like this. Because he abandoned them. People remember what you've done for me lately. 
We're giving our books back to the kids. We're giving our toys and so forth like that. We're the pillow strength. It ain't safe for him back to the He can't come back here and show his face like it's all good. He know that. That's why he claimed Coconut Creek and he claimed everywhere else. That's where he's from. So you know, come February 19th, you know what I'm saying, man, just bring that drama to the school all right. Well, very good. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to seeing you compete again in the cage. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Defear Dada 5000 Harris, who will be competing in the co-main event of Bellator 149 inside the Houston Toyota Center against Kevin Kimbo Slice Ferguson, uh, the main event Again, will be uh, Hoist Gracie, who is coming out of retirement to face uh, Ken Shamrock. There you have it, folks. That wraps things up on this week's episode of Sucker Radio. Thank you to Ricky Lundell for joining me. Thanks to Jesse Schechner for lining up that interview with Dada5000. You can also check out an article on that interview over at MMASucka.com. Make sure you head on over to LastWordOnSports.com for everything sports-related, not just mixed martial arts, but everything friggin' else in the sports world. They've got it going on at LastWordOnSports.com. Thank you to FloatHouse.ca. Check them out for all your sensory deprivation tank needs. Check out ProAmBelts.com. You can get all your championship belt needs, you know, whether you want to wear it to the bar like Tim Sylvia would do back in the day. Check them out, proambelts.com. bckimonos.ca for all your Brazilian jiu-jitsu needs and fusion fight gear. Google them. Check them out for some funky-ass rash guard spats and uh, limited edition Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese. Make sure you follow MMA Sucker on Twitter at MMA Sucker. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash MMA Sucker. Follow myself on Twitter at JeremyBrand604. Thank you to you guys for listening. And with that... I am out. It's the radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen. It's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. It's the radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio. It's the it's the radio. Sucker, sucker radio. It's the radio, it's the, it's the radio, sucker, sucker radio. Come and listen, it's about that time. Yes, download the show or you can stream online. Out. <laughs>